All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I've got Jack Dalzell. And Jack is an avid outdoorsman, loves to do all sorts of outdoor activities. We're going to jump into a lot of his stories, his hopes and dreams for the future, um, what he would like to hunt, as well as some of his favorite things to get out and do in the outdoors. So before we jump into the episode, though, I want to make you aware again, if you listened to the last episode, um, you heard all about this, but I've got a couple updates for you. So Big Game Hero is putting on a contest, and the winner of the contest will be awarded a five-day fully outfitted bull elk hunt, and that's going to be on the Vermejo Park Ranch. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I hope I am. And they're going to get $25,000 cash. And so Hunter is currently in fourth place. Like number four for overall votes out of, I think it was over 12,000 people that uh, entered to start. And so right now they're voting for the top 15. That ends on Thursday the 9th. And then from there, they're going to go to the top five. Right now he would qualify for the top five too. So anyways, you can hop on biggamehero.com forward slash 2021 forward slash hunter dash Lashinsky. That's L-E-S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. And you can do a free daily vote every single day. You can also do a Habitat vote, which is $1 for the vote. And it's a minimum of $10 that you donate, and it goes to uh, wildlife conservation. But then you can get a vote for literally every dollar spent. So if that's something you're interested in doing, I hope that you will... I hope you hop on, support Hunter, and let's try and win him this contest. I appreciate that greatly, and now let's jump into the show. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I've got Jack Dalzall. And Jack is from Wyoming. He's an avid outdoorsman who is passionate about fly fishing and shed hunting and archery elk hunting. But uh, I just want to welcome you to the show to start out. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, tell Tell me and I guess the listeners a little bit about yourself kind of uh, what you're most involved in right now in the outdoors, and then also if you want to dive into kind of how you got started in the outdoors. Yeah, for sure. So I'm going to school right now, college in Laramie, Wyoming, it's the University of Wyoming. And so that's picking up a lot of my fall. And then I'm also a guide for uh, Tyler Sims Outfitting in Arlington, about 45 minutes uh, west on I-80 from Laramie. And so from that school, haven't got a ton of hunting for myself this year, but I still got to get out in the elk woods a little bit. My buddy had a super, super good tag and spent a lot of time trying to get him a big bull. I really didn't get to hunt myself a ton this year. Like I killed an antelope uh, with my bow this year because that starts the 15th of August. So we were able to go out before school started and whatnot and all and guiding really. Uh, took off so that was kind of nice but all summer I really spent my time fly fishing I do a lot of backpacking too up to high high mountain lakes for like the little brookies and stuff 
that's kind of my wheelhouse more than those crowded rivers because man, it's getting popular these days with Instagram. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so pretty much guiding and little bit of cutting this year, but guiding much been all fall. Really took up more time than I thought it was going to do, but it was it's still a good time because it's like I'm still hunting. So. Yeah. What what? <clears throat> I mean, like, how does that? affect you mentally i guess is guiding something you're more passionate about or would you rather be the one hunting because i know a lot of guys once they get into guiding they find so much reward in helping other people find the game that they're chasing after oh yeah 100 percent. like i'm i'm loving it because i'm still in the outdoors and we actually had a so it's called the outdoor dream foundation and it's to help kids with like terminal illnesses be able to go out and hunt and we had a kid in camp last week from Georgia, and he got to shoot his first elf. And man, it really put life into perspective, and it was cool to watch him take his first elf. Yeah, that's awesome. I like, I like taking new people out, and I like just hunting with new people. That's one of my passions is connecting with new people, whether it's hunting, fishing, camping, floating. Um, I just enjoy building relationships, I guess, based around hunting and fishing. So, Oh yeah, man. I, yeah, I totally understand that. I've, and the amount that I've learned just from being out with different people from different parts of the country, not even just the hunting, but the life. Like I've met people from all over the country. We had some people come over from Switzerland, I think, or Scandinavian countries. And it was cool to meet people from all over the place and kind of get their perspectives on hunting. We had a, we had a ton of first-time hunters, and it's and it almost makes you a better hunter yourself, having to show somebody that's never been around it and get them close to a big game animal. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to do by yourself. So then, when you're trying to take somebody along that's never done it before, kind of almost adds an extra difficulty to it that makes it fun. Yeah, I I like the whole mindset of explaining it to a new person because I feel like you kind of relearn or they might ask you questions about, well, why do you do it this way? And you may have never thought about it. You may have just always done it that way. And then you have to figure out, well, wait a minute. Why, why I guess do I do it that way? Oh, here we go. This is why. Oh yeah, absolutely. I had so many, that happened so many times to me this year where, I mean, I'm, I'm 19. And so it might be a little daunting for someone that's paying for a hunt to come in and some young kids taking them out. So I got to kind of like reassure them that I do know what I'm doing, but I'm, I mean, I'm still learning. So I'm young and I learned a lot from those people because we had as many first time hunters we had, we had a ton of experienced hunters too. Yeah. So I learned a lot. Yeah. How, how did you get into guiding? What was it that kind of got you started in that? So, I was going to guide in high school, but got to be 18 and my birthday just so happens to be in February. So I wasn't able to guide in high school. And so I started poking around and my cousin, we were up at my great grandma's funeral actually. And she just got married and we were up there all talking at the like the little party thing after the funeral. And there's this guy decked out and he's got like a QU pullover, a QU hat. I'm like, all right, I can probably have something to talk about with this guy yeah. so i go over and talk to him and his name's colterson and he's also a guy that 
Tyler and he would go into school when at the time he was just like, Hey man, like want to do some guiding next year because Tyler needs some new guides because a ton of us are graduating. I was like, Yeah, like never really put much thought into it, but that would fit perfect into my school schedule, be able to make a little money, but then I'm still doing like what I love. Yeah. Yeah, I uh I've never guided before. I've talked to a lot of people who have and it seems like it would be awesome, but there's also a lot of work and then the pressure of it. Cause I mean, I feel pressure when I go out and I want to get an animal, but then to have someone else kind of putting their hunt in your hands and relying on your expertise, I'm sure that's got a way kind of heavy on you. Oh yeah. Cause there's always that pressure. Cause I mean, you're taking for like your own personal hunts, you're taking time off, you're spending your own money and cause time is valuable. And then so it's somebody else's time, somebody else's money, and they're counting on you to put them in a position to succeed. There's, it, there's definitely a lot of pressure on it, but most of the guys come in kind of loose and fun, and it's a good atmosphere up at camp. So Yeah. Do you, do you guide pretty close to where you personally hunt, or do you guide all over the place? Oh, no, yeah. Like I've never – like the ranches that we guide – I've never hunted that area in my life. It's about five hours from home. So I was over all summer learning these branches, trying to figure them out, learn the elk and the antelope and deer. They they just act a little different than what I was used to. So I really had to figure them out, find the honey holes. Because he's got over 300,000 acres to hunt. Dang. A small place. And animals are constant in and out. So trying to figure that out was definitely daunting, that's for sure. Oh, I bet. Do you do you have a specific thing that you're looking for when you go and try to figure out an area? Is there a certain terrain feature that you look at heavily or um I I guess how do you pick out pick apart an area when you first go into it for Western Big Game? My my biggest thing is I think about the time of year and what those animals are going to be doing because Tyler advertises for river bottom elk, foothill elk, and mountain elk and those up all differently at different times of the year. When they're in the river bottoms and the flats, that's after hunting pressure towards the late season cow hunts. But then those mountain hunts are when they're in the rut. So those animals are acting differently. So I'd say, I think about like, when I go into an area, I think what time of year are the animals going to be in here and then even going to be my time to hunt over here until later or earlier. And then I don't know if you're familiar with Southeast Wyoming, but the wind blows a lot. Yeah. It is very, very windy. And I've noticed just from shed hunting, like back home, you find the south slopes and you find the sheds. Yeah. But the animals will go to the north snowy slopes just to get out of the wind. If the snow doesn't bother them, the wind is so cold and fierce that they'll be in 10 feet of snow just to get out of the wind. That's crazy. Yeah, I've spent a little bit of time in southern Wyoming. Not a ton, um, but that is definitely one thing that I noticed. I, I was staying at a buddy's ranch up there, and we went outside, and he's got this big Quonset hut. Uh, we walked outside and I think he was grabbing something from his truck or I don't remember, but I was walking with him and his hat blew off 
And I mean, it's probably like a 45 degree hill. I say hill, it's like the base of a mountain uh, where we were standing and the wind was blowing basically up that face. And the wind was so strong, it blew his hat all the way up. Like we never found his hat. And I've had my hat blow off from the wind before, but to see it blow up a hill so fast that we couldn't chase it down and grab it. I was like, forget this place. Like I couldn't deal with that all the time. And he's like, it's not like that all the time, but about 50% of the time I'm like, holy cow, even that I wouldn't deal with. Oh yeah. We, we live for for the day. We live for those days where the wind's not blowing and the fish do too, because the fish can't find those on the top of the wall when the wind's blowing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the wind, like, sorry, go ahead. No, go for it. Yeah, so another thing with the wind, I actually came home this weekend because my dad's buddy had a late cow hunt and guiding kind of wrapped up for the year for me, and I wanted to help him get an elk. And we had 60-mile-an-hour crosswinds on my drive home, and I probably saw 15 or 17 semis that were blown over. The, the wind would just blow them over, and those were dudes man that's such an inconvenience for them oh my gosh good thing i drive a little tacoma so i don't gotta worry about that yeah i took i took a uh converted sprinter van out to colorado two or three weeks ago and on the way out there the winds were brutal i mean so bad the traction control alarm kept going off and like flashing on the dash and i'm just like holy cow this is insane and we stopped at a at a gas station and talked to a trucker and he's like, Oh yeah, my wheels were coming up on a couple of those spots. And I'm like, no, thanks, man. I, I yeah, just, it's great when you're passing a semi in that left lane and you see his right side tip up, you got to speed up a little bit, get past him. Cause that's a little nerve wracking. I don't know how people live out there. I mean, I've seen the houses up on the Hills where they plant pine trees, like all the way around their house. But I just couldn't imagine every time you go outside or, you know, the majority of the time you go outside just being blasted with wind. It is, it's relentless and it takes the wind out of your sails for sure. I mean, oh yeah, when you're hunting, when you're trying to move in it, like every step is a struggle, even when it's nice, even if it's 50 degrees out, you get chilled pretty quick in that stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially shed hunting. I mean, it'll be cloudy all day. I'll come home my parents be like why is your face so red you get sunburned like no it's that freaking wind all day just beating you to hell trying to glass and oh yeah it's a different beast for sure yeah do you so when you go out shed hunting are you primarily hunting for or looking for elk sheds are you looking for mule deer sheds are you looking for any type of horn that's on the ground or uh what's kind of your favorite uh, my favorite are elk horns because the money's good in them. But deer are unique. But I mean, if I pick up moose, moose are fun because there's not there's not many of them. And when you find them, it's like a needle in a haystack. And we actually have a seasonal closure in Wyoming, so it hits the continental divide and comes down along I eighty and cuts the snowy mountains into it now. And so that closes January first to May first just to let the animals kind of get a break so people aren't out there pushing them around with the wind and the snow because we get a ton of winter kill. Yeah. But moose, they tend to drop in the month of this 
December and January, but but you'll get lucky and find a big bull that drops in December. So you can do a little bit of shed hunting before the closure and me and buddies go out on snowshoes and we'll just follow tracks until we just see a base sticking up out of the snow. And that's what we live for, honestly. There's nothing else really to do in Wyoming. So you said the money's good in it. Are you, are you selling the sheds or how does that work? Yeah. So there's antler buyers all over the Western United States that cruise around. The prices go up and down just like anything else. And the recent years with all the Californians moving out here, they want to build these extravagant log homes with these antler chandeliers and lamps and stuff. So those brown elkhorns are going for 14, 15, 16 bucks a pound. And a big brown elkhorn gets you 12 pounds. So you can make pretty good money, but it's tough selling them sometimes because you work hard for them. Oh man, I don't, yeah, I don't know that I could do it. Obviously if I was selling them like crazy, yes, I could. Or I mean, if I was finding them like crazy, I am the worst shed hunter on the planet. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm looking at the places where I hunt and typically where I hunt isn't a great wintering ground for the deer. Uh, And so the few bucks that are in the area are typically dropping down in the river bottoms at that point of the year. And so I just, I've stumbled upon a couple sheds. We did find quite a few mule deer sheds and a small elk shed when we were elk hunting this year. But other than that, I haven't really gone out West. That's something I want to do because there is something about like holding a shed in your hand. I don't know what it is. All the ones I've found are like bleach white and crumbling already, but I want to find a fresh one, just a monster. I think that'd be the coolest thing ever. Yeah. This last year, if you're looking for moose paddles, we saw a big, big bull, bull side. And it was probably, I think it was the day after Christmas. We didn't have a full time left before that closure. And we went there, watched him all day from a thousand yards and never dropped we went back the next day and we found him again and just dropped and i actually ended up picking up his set laying on top of each other and his bases were bloody it was so cool that like 24 hours earlier he had both sides and crazy oh man that's cool i remember i i was checking trail cameras because i live on 20 acres and uh there's quite a few deer on it and I remember there was a young buck. It was just like a tiny six point. And he he was cruising through and I saw him on camera and he only had one side on. And I was like, oh, sweet. That other side's about to drop. I'm going to go look all over. I'm going to grid search around the camera and see if I can pick up his first side. Look and look and look and look and look. Never find it. And a week later, I go and check my cameras again. And he's still walking around with one side. And then three weeks after that, he's still walking around with one side. And I'm like, this joker dropped. And for a full month, he only had one side. And I looked everywhere for that thing. And I don't know how long it was before that that it even fell off. Um, But I just remember seeing him just scrolling through pictures. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, hey, there's one with only one. It's got to be laying right here somewhere. No, never found it. That's pretty neat, though. We... The deer will definitely hold longer, but man, it seems like the muleys don't hold that long. We don't get that many white coats around here. We just pretty good. That's my dog. I'm sorry, but no, uh, 
just to get them in the southwest corner of Wyoming, which that's where I'm from, is the southwest corner. So to drive to school, you know, we're, it's a five-hour drive all the way along Ivy and Sagebrush Country. And white herd isn't very big, but Wyoming seems to, they don't really link their white tails down here. So they are opening up like additional buck tags, tags. They're trying to get rid of them because they're such, they're, they're way more dominant, I found, than the muleys. Yeah. Even if they're small bodies, they'll kick the muleys out. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, I mean, they'll come in and take over. I've got some friends with a, a ranch in Colorado, and I thought it was really cool going out in the cornfield along the river bottom. And there was two mule deer bucks and a whitetail buck all out there. And I was like, man, I, I just haven't seen them in the same spot like that before. And then all of a sudden they started, like they, all the mule deer bucks, the big mature ones started disappearing, but then they were growing some huge whitetail bucks. And it seems like every three years or so, they'll have just a monster whitetail. And then three years later, there'll be a monster mule deer out there but they hardly ever get them both on camera at the same time. Oh, yeah. And what we really started to notice in my neck of the woods is we're doing a lot of hybrids. Those muleys and white tails will breed. And uh, so they'll they'll keep the same shape of white tail horns, and they'll keep the tail, but their ears and face look like a muley. So they'll get those giant ears that mule deer are known for. It's, they're they're kind of cool. My brother came so last year that where they hybrid see i found the shed that i found while we were uh elk hunting a couple weeks back it was definitely a mule deer shed because i don't think they have any white tail as high up as we were um but it didn't have any forks at all it was just a four point side and it it, i mean it was decent size not huge but it looked just like a white tail rack because there were no forks on it and i was like man this is really weird to see this up this high we haven't seen any white tail here all mule deer but i don't know if it could have been a hybrid or maybe it just hadn't forked out yet uh, i talked to a lot of people it seems like the hybrid weird it's like just happening in our area and i don't know why it's kind of weird but we had a super big winter a couple of years ago i think it was the winter of 17 and we they went and counted our winter range I think we had like 97% mule deer fawn mortality and 50% doe and buck. So we lost a lot of our herd. And I'm wondering if that has a little bit to do with it. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, have you noticed, like, are, are the whitetails definitely pushing the mule deer out in that area? Or are they cohabitating better than you were expecting? We were pushing them out and then beginning to fish put in those extra tags and I saw a big decrease in white tail numbers. Okay. Sure. Nice. There's there's honestly after those tags, there's too few white tail that you can tell now. There it's a you seem to come around towards the rut, which is always what happens. In Wyoming we can't hunt them. There's a couple units in Wyoming, but where I'm from, there's all our hunting is over by the fifty over. So we don't really have a chance to ever hunt here in the rut. Is it, um, do you guys have a lot of over-the-counter units up there? Or is it a lot of, or is it almost all draw? For residents, 
like Region G is some of the best mule deer hunting you'll find up in the Wyoming range. That's another county unit for all Wyoming residents. But we aren't super nice to our non-residents. It's really tough to get good deer in our just not a resident, that's for sure. Okay. Yeah, I know. I know you guys give out uh, doe antelope tags really uh, readily to non-residents, but uh, I haven't looked into a ton else just because I haven't had a lot of connections up in Wyoming, but it's a place that I definitely want to check out. Um, and I yeah, think it'd be crazy. I was talking to you about that. You, you definitely need to come out for an elk hunt at some point. Start, start buying points. Oh yeah, I will. I've been, I've been putting points in, in Colorado like crazy, but, uh, I found a killer unit for mule deer in Colorado. I mean, we found monsters and, it was awful for elk. We found a really, really nice um, bull elk two days before season opened. And he was like at 1,000 yards. We definitely saw 20 cows with him, but maybe more. Uh, they were just kind of in and out of uh, cedar trees the whole time. But, dude, this this bull elk was a monster. I mean, he had to be a 7 by 7 and he had back scratchers like that long. I mean, it was the biggest one I've ever seen in a unit that I was hunting and then we never saw him again. And it seemed like for the next five days yeah. I couldn't buy an elk sighting, but I had giant six by six mule deer right in front of me. I mean, everywhere I turned, there were big mule deer bucks and I, mean, I talk, that just seems to be the way it works. It, yeah. I was here. like, if I had a, if I had a mule deer tag, I'd be seeing giant elk every day. That's just oh, always yeah. how it goes, but I'm pumped. I'm going to start putting, or I've been putting in points um, for elk, mule deer, moose, bighorn, and mountain goat, but I quit putting in points for mountain goat because I already went on one of those hunts, hated the meat, and I was like, we had, oh, really? yeah, we had success. And may, I mean, I don't know, maybe I should give the meat another try, but we tried to cook it up, and it was terrible. I I couldn't stand it, and. uh it was my buddies, so I didn't have to take all the meat home anyways. But I was like, dude, if it's this expensive and this hard to draw a mountain goat tag and I've already done it and had success, even though I wasn't the one that pulled the trigger, I'm not going to do it if I don't like the meat, you know. Oh, yeah. What is your favorite wild game meat? Moose. Moose is has it? been my favorite for sure, yeah. I yeah, I loved it. We... uh I did a hunt with my buddy Sean. He's actually also the one I did the mountain goat hunt with. He drew a moose tag one year, two years later, drew a mountain goat tag. And, uh, yeah, I'm like, okay, so that means this year would be two years after that. He should draw a big horn tag this year um, or this coming year. Um, <laughs> I, I doubt it is going to happen, but with his luck it probably would. Um, but, yeah, he got a he got a moose, and we cooked up – uh, a part of the back strap and then the heart and tongue on it on the first night that he, or right after he shot it. And it was phenomenal. It was probably my favorite meat that I've had. Yeah, it's good. I killed a moose by bow three years ago. I drew it with two points and kind of a sleeper unit in Wyoming. And I mean, it wasn't bad. I, I didn't, I didn't hate it, but it wasn't my favorite, that's for sure. Hmm. Yeah, I. it's funny because I'm like, you know, in the right setting, I might like a lot of things in a different order or I might prioritize the my favorites 
in a different order. But it seems like a lot of the stuff that I eat is out in the woods. And like when I'm out there, we'll cook up fresh elk backstraps. And I love that. I love elk. I love deer. Um, I love moose. But for some reason, we had worked our butts off. And so in my mind, I'm like, all right, we've got high country surf and turf because we caught some trout up in the mountains on the mountain goat hunt. And then we got the mountain goat. And I'm like, dude, we've been working our butts off, climbing to 13,000 feet every day, uh, just going crazy, working hard. And this is going to be the best meal I've ever had, you know? Like when you just, you're tired as can be, it, everything seems to yeah. taste better. And it was awful. And you worked for it. And I was like, this is so weird. Like I would have not expected this at all. Oh, yeah. I definitely, especially when we do our big backpacking stuff in the summer we get up there and we catch those high high mountain turkeys it, it seems like we're just waiting to get up there for those because i mean we'll do because we do big loops a lot of people go up to a lake and then back down the same trailhead but we like to continually see different stuff yeah and we did one loop this last summer me and my one buddy i think it was 32 miles and oh man we ate way too much fish on that night yeah yeah, we, we plowed through those small brookies up in the mountains. I mean, it was like every other cast we were pulling them in. But they tasted great. But, yeah, that mountain goat, I don't know what it was. We'll see. If somebody else shoots one, I, I've got another buddy who drew a tag this season, didn't fill it. Um, but I really want to try it a second time in a setting where it's, like, prepared well, not just kind of a bushcraft meal and see if maybe it's better. Yeah, where you can make it at your house or something. Yeah. Yeah. My all-time favorite wild game is definitely antelope, for sure. Really? No comparison. People call me crazy, but I think it holds flavor the best. It's tender. And as long as you get it on ice and get the hide peeled, it is by far my favorite. That's interesting. I hear a lot of people complain about antelope meat. I've never shot an antelope, never hunted them, um, but I don't think I've ever eaten antelope. But everybody's told me like, "Oh man, it's it's tough. You got to really take care of it. You got to get it prepared right, and you got to get it on ice right away." And I'm like, "Okay, I don't know. I've never done it, so maybe I'll have to go after oh, yeah. some and, I mean, and try some meat." Oh yeah, I always put in for the bond tags because. That's just my favorite. I'll do an entire backstrap on the trade. And when it's done, I can cut it with a fork. And that my whole family had the whole stigma where you got to cook everything to, you got to charcoal it. You gotta, it's got to be burnt because they're going to get trigonosis from freaking deer. They're like antelope tastes like sagebrush. And I completely turned them around on it. That's awesome. And it is so tender and holds the flavor. Don't knock antelope until you try it. Yeah, I want to try it. I definitely don't trash talk it, but I just, from all the people I talk to, it seems like a pretty unanimous thing. So maybe you're going to have to share your secret of cooking it because uh, there's a lot of people who who have a negative view of antelope meat. Yeah, I, I think you're, the way you take care of it in this field is the biggest thing. Yeah. I mean, if it sits in the bed of a truck, bouncing around all day, just gutted with the hide still on it, course it's gonna it's not gonna taste great you don't want a bunch of hair to get on it fill the hide and keep it on ice the biggest thing you want to do is you don't want to get it wet 
to it when you clean your meat you want to clean it dry and always like be able to like, when it's on your ice in your cooler make sure your cooler's in drain because if it soaks in water it's going to get super tough and lose all its flavor okay i'm gonna have to i'll have to uh write all that stuff down for my first antelope hunt that way i don't get ruined on antelope you should right draw a tag in wyoming pretty easy Like you two three years you should go and draw a pretty good unit nice See, and I need to, I just need to learn about antelope because I see antelope all the time on my drive out to Colorado and I'm like, oh, that's a big buck. That's a big buck. Well, the difference between a big buck and a small buck isn't that great in comparison to the difference of like a big muley and a small muley. And so I'm like, dude, I don't even know what I'd be looking for with a good buck in Wyoming. I'd just be happy with anything. I, that definitely happened with guiding this year because I had a ton of antelope hunters just trying to learn the elk ranches i, I went on a, I went on with elk like with other guides because it was my first year trying to learn those ranches but i did a ton of solo antelope stuff and i have a group of 50 bucks out there and i have a client with looking at them in my spotting scope and like how can you tell that that one's bigger than the next like you just got to make sure the cutters go halfway up the nose he's double his ears he'll be over 13 and there's a lot that goes into antelope scoring. And I, I just think they're almost kind of like the last exotic in Western United States. I, I don't think there's a prettier shoulder out on the planet than an antelope. Man, it sounds like you're all in on antelope. I, uh... <clears throat> yeah, I guess I should have said that was my passion because, gosh, people call me crazy, but I love archery hunting antelope. It's just there's something about it because there's action all day long. You're always seeing bucks. There's never because like elk, you can go six days not see anything and live for that one moment. You have to make it count. But if you blow a stock on one antelope, you got fifty more bucks down the road that you can put more stocks on. <laughs> hey, I could get behind that mindset because I've been striking out hard on my archery season this year. It's been rough, um, but I'm hoping hoping to pull it together here late season archery. Um, but yeah, I guess that makes sense because the antelope, they're not, you know, hiding on mountainsides like elk and mule deer are. If they're out there, you're going to see them. Obviously, they'll use like low points and stuff. But I could see that whole mindset of like, hey, I'm just going to give it all I got on this antelope because if I don't make it happen, I'll just go to the next one and try it on that one. That sounds like a yeah. good time. Oh, yeah. Our channel hunting is so much fun because their only defense their i mean their noses are okay in their ears but you can trick all that but you can't trick their eyes i mean if they see a shimmer from a star in the way they're standing up and they're not taking their eyes off you for an hour there's so many and the thing about antelope stalks is they can be 20 minutes so they can be like four hours Dang. crawling through that ain't safe brush do you do you use one of those uh what are they called? Is it the predator decoys? The Montanas. Or yeah, the Montana. I mean, there's a bunch of different companies yeah. that make them now. Like there's the one that clips onto your bow and you actually like see and shoot through the, the silhouette itself. Um, and then obviously they've got the ones that you can stake out. Do you use that on your stocks? Well, I've had like, they either work or they don't for me. I've never had like mixed results. Like they either see them and take off running or you get a buck in the rut and he comes and dang near charges you. It, I've really, 
personally don't use them because I prefer to like not not be seen at all up until the point of the shot. But with clients this year with rifle hunting, I definitely used it quite a bit because over there in that southeast corner, it's flat. So trying to get those guys under 400, especially some people that only wanted to shoot out to 200, you had to do something. Yeah. A lot of people can't crawl really. So I definitely utilize them guiding more than I do personal hunting, I would say. Okay. What, uh, like when you are archery hunting, what is your expected range that you try to get to um, on an antelope? I don't love taking shots over 60 yards. With my compound, I try to get 50 and under. It really just depends on what the situation is, if the wind and whatnot. But if I'm hunting with my trap bow, 30 and under probably. Okay. Man, that seems so crazy in open country like that to get that close to an antelope. Uh, I know when I was first entertaining the idea of antelope hunting, my buddy told me they've got, from his experience, they have kind of a 300 yard safety window where it's like, you can get up to 300 yards. And as soon as you cross that invisible line, boom, they're gone and you won't see them again. Or, I mean, you'll see them, but they're way, way out. And two miles out. Yeah. And I'm like, geez, that seems impossible. How do people how do people shoot these with bows? And he's like, oh, in a blind over a water hole. But the fact that you're actually out there putting a stock on them with your bow without a decoy, that's insane. Yeah. I mean, I, what's kind of nice is school, but like when I was in high school, it started, class started usually like the Monday before Labor Day weekend. And our archery antelope season starts the 15th of August. So I've got, 10 or so days of just hunting so when you have that much time out there you're bound to find one that makes mistakes so don't give me too much credit (laughs) (laughs) well that's awesome man i've killed one out of a blind but the other five or six i've killed the spot and stock the blinds man they just feel so sneaking hot out there in in wyoming man with the wind and I'm not super patient. Like my, I really want to kill a whitetail out of a tree stand, like the those Midwest like awesome hunts. But I don't know if I could sit there for longer than two, three hours because antelope and elk hunting in Wyoming is just so much running and gunning. Yeah, I'm just not patient. So. Oh, it's definitely a different ball game. I'm I'm really torn um, because I grew up as a whitetail hunter, <laughs> sitting sitting still, waiting for them to come to you. But I mean, your numbers on whitetail—it's a—it's not even comparable. Like the numbers of whitetail in a county that I hunt in Wisconsin is probably close to the entire amount of, or the entire elk population in a full state out west. And so it's like you're gonna have deer coming in and out all day, all day long. I just going from that out to Colorado the scenery is what did it for me. Like being able to walk and when, when I'm sitting in a tree stand I might look out at the neighbors or look out at a tree line and I'm like, I really wonder what's moving over there, but I'm tree stand hunting. You know, I'm not going to get down and just walk and try to walk down a whitetail, especially if it's on somebody else's property, but then getting out to Colorado and sitting somewhere in glassing and wondering like, What's on the other side of that mountain? Wait a minute. 
I can go check because that's what people do out here. And being able to see a new country every day, sit in glass from different spots every day, and you never know what you're going to see. You know, like, I'm lucky if I see a bobcat or a coyote while I'm whitetail hunting. In Colorado, you might see a bear, a mountain lion, elk, mule deer, bighorn. I mean, who knows? So, yeah, but yeah, I, I can't imagine what it would be like on your side of things, like going from Western big game hunting to sitting in a tree stand trying to shoot a whitetail. I think you'd get pretty yeah, bored we, or you'd like, and, oh, yeah. <laughs> you might like it. You might be like, this is great. I'm going to shoot something and I don't have to walk for it at all. Oh yeah. I, that, that would be nice not having to put 10 miles a day in for an animal, but oh man, I'm just too much of a busy body. I think, uh, I mean, that's just the way I was raised and how I grew up. So it'd be tough to transition, but maybe after a couple of years. I yeah. Yeah, I like I like changing things up. I mean, there's so many different things to hunt. I really want to do a mountain lion hunt. That seems like it would be awesome, following dogs oh, around yeah. the mountains. But uh, what if you had to pick one thing? Like, what's your dream hunt? If you could, if you could hunt anything, anywhere, any weapon. And or like probably like a combo hunt. I'd, I'd love to shoot a coastal brown bear for someone. Someone I want somebody backing me up with a big gun, but calling <laughs> it in with like a fawn in distress or something, shooting yep. a twelve foot bear with a bow, and then shoot a doll sheep is definitely up there too. Because it just kind of seems like the like the king, the most like physically demanding. But it's like just like constant, it's the hardest thing to do. I could be wrong. But. Yeah, doll sheep seems like it would be a good time. Um there's a huge craze with sheep and goats and I've just, I've always, I, I guess when you grow up, like in your situation, you grew up already elk and mule deer and doing all that stuff. For me as a whitetail hunter, I didn't think I'd ever be able to like growing up in rural Wisconsin. I never thought like, Oh, I can just go out and elk hunt. It seems so foreign to me that I never even considered anything above that, like mountain goat or bighorn. And and so for me, the allure of mountain goat and bighorn isn't anything in comparison to what some people that already hunt out west think it is. And so I'm I'm still all about elk, moose. Moose is my number one. I want to shoot a monster Yukon moose with my bow in the middle, like as far away from human beings as you can possibly get. And uh, that'd be sweet. But a coastal brown bear would be insane too. Yeah, my boss is going up and they're doing the doll sheep coastal brown bear this year. They're getting their 20 nozzles all ready to go and all their gear. I was like, oh, I am so jealous of you guys. But the old high school, or not high school, the college kids can't quite afford that yet. No, no, I've got some buddies. They did it. They did it this year. They didn't do the doll sheep, but they did the brown bear and uh, shot a monster. And I can't imagine. I mean, I've been close to him. We went up to Alaska this year. I was within, trying to think how close I got to an adult, probably like 12 or 13 yards maybe. And um, they were, they okay, listen, they weren't like 
they were wild bears for sure, but they were so used to people because they all go and like view them in this one spot. But this mama and three cubs walked right next to us. I mean, like she, she was within inside of 10 yards of some of the people in our group. And, but she just didn't care about people at all. I mean, she was going to the river to catch fish and, uh, I can't imagine encountering one of those bears that has never seen a human and you're going after it. Like what the heck that would be oh, insane. Yeah. But like probably like a Midwest white tail tree stand on would be like an actually like obtainable thing in the near future. Yeah. But like how you say the elk hunting out West seems daunting. Like it can, it's almost seems daunting to me the other way with white tail because you can't pattern a mule deer like you can't white tail. Yeah. And so I feel like me, if I don't have like a private lease or something like that, where I can bucks, it almost seems impossible to be able to go down there and kill one. Cause I mean, you always, you, you go until you find one and then you have that opportunity because you'll see a buck one day and you'll never see it again. Yeah. But like white tails, they're a little more patternable. So if I've never experienced doing that, I feel like that would be almost impossible for me to do unless I knew somebody like land or something well dude we'll just we'll swap a hunt how about that you you teach me how to archery hunt elk because i've never done that i'll bring you out whitetail hunting and uh we can we can both do something we haven't done yet i hear stories and i've seen i've seen elk bugle but man i want an elk in my face just screaming and pissing all over the place and like me shaking in my boots because it's right in front of me oh my gosh I might be hooked. Yeah, elk hunting might end up being my number one favorite if I get to experience that. Oh, yeah. The Bugle Fest or something else. This year, on my buddy's limited entry tag that he drew, we going in with high expectations because it has 85% draws. I'm not going to say that because I'm putting it for next year and it's going to be good. But. <laughs> so we, we went in and he said that like a, a good branch bull, he was going to shoot any good five point. And so we found the elk and there was bulls screaming everywhere. We had raghorns coming in. Like, all right, this is about to happen. And all of a sudden, this boy comes around the corner, probably 320, 330 caliber bull. We're like, oh, we may need to reevaluate our standards. And so trying to get this bull in with 70 cows, we had five other five points come like under 10 yards. And we're almost trying to scare away the small ones, trying to get this big one to close the distance. And they're all just screaming, going nuts. And we have a Montana cow decoy. They're, they're trying to get on top of it. I mean, it's crazy what was going on. And he wasn't even the biggest bull on the mountain. There was another one that probably on the doorstep of two foot. But I think he's a little bit of a like a younger bull. So that big one, not because the corn size was beating him in the fights. So we thought, man, this is the best situation ever to kill that big bull. And trying to pull elk away from 70 cows is tough. Because when they have that many ladies right there, you can't make enough cow calls to make them want to eat. Yeah. Yeah, I've got <clears throat> I've heard I've heard people hunting them a lot of different ways. Obviously, the preferred method during the rut is calling. And I've got a guy whose property I hunt in Wisconsin, and he doesn't call at all. He goes out by himself for the full 30-day season in Colorado. 
And he's like, I don't want the elk. Kind of like what you said. You almost don't want them knowing you're there with antelope and the, and the whole decoy system. He's like, I don't want them knowing I'm there at all. I don't want them looking for anything. He's like, so I literally will crawl into a herd of elk, and it might take me all day to get in the middle of them, but I want to get positioned to where I'm going to have a shot at that bull at some point. And I'm like, holy cow. Like, <laughs> I maybe I'm just lazy because I grew up sitting in a tree stand. But I'm like, dude, I would much rather, like, sit back, call, and have him come to me. Uh, there, It's, it's yeah. crazy the different my, techniques my that people have. Method. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was oh, just yeah. saying. Like, so many people hunt differently because I, I've hunted with a ton of different people. And back home, the bull cow ratio is, is, like, almost one-to-one. It's incredibly high. So bulls only have five or six cows. So there's a big difference between going down and hunting, like, bulls with 70 cows because back home i would bugle locate an elk and then i i call it their bubble and i get within like 50 yards of them and just let one just scream at them and usually when you break that bubble they can't not come in sight yeah and that's that's usually my go-to but you can't do that when there's 70 cows 140 eyeballs staring at you it's really there's a that guy, you know, if he can get in on Hartford's like that, good for him. Yeah, he he's pretty diehard. I mean, like I said, he goes out by himself, comes back to town. I think halfway through the halfway through the season for to resupply and get more food. Other than that, he's in the middle of nowhere all by himself. And uh, I'd say he probably brings a bull home every two or three years. Um, and they're pretty decent bulls, but. I just want to, I want one opportunity, man. One opportunity with my bow in hand. All I've done is rifle hunted for them so far. And it's been a ton of fun. And I've had two, I've had two rifle or two seasons rifle hunting elk. And I've been successful on both of them. But now I'm like, all right, now I want to do it with a bow. Yeah. You, you, we'll have to get you out here and get you to be with us for sure. Yeah. Um, Man, yeah, I just can't imagine like having grown up out there. What what was it like growing up? At what age did you kind of get into hunting? Oh man, I as soon as my dad got me a because we've moved on a couple times just in the town that we live in. And first place we live, you know, like acres behind the place, which isn't a ton, but it's enough for a young kid. Yeah, got me like a red rider, go out there and shoot any birds you see. And, oh, man, some of the stuff that me and my buddies used to shoot up behind my old place. <laughs> it, as young as I can remember, that's what I lived for in sports. But I chose hunting in high school over the other stuff. Yep. Yeah, that was that was my Achilles heel. Like, even trying to work out and, and stay fit and play basketball and do all this other stuff. It was great all year long until hunting season started. And then people are like, dude, where are you? How come you don't come play basketball with us anymore? Why haven't you been in the gym? And I'm like, dude, it's hunting season. I'm not waking up early to go to the gym. I'm waking up early and getting out in the tree stand or going duck hunting or rabbit hunting or whatever. And the problem is if there's an open season of any kind, I'd rather be doing that than anything else. 
couldn't agree more. Like, that's what's awesome about uh, shed hunting. Because the spring, so little while, I didn't get shed into shed hunting until I was about 14. Because the spring was kind of like a, I mean, there's spring bear, so just my, I didn't grow up hunting bear, so wasn't really a, on my radar. So then I got into shed hunting and that filled that kind of three, four month gap before backpacking. And so, I mean, I'm going all year long chasing something. Yeah. I want to, I want to come out and shed hunt so bad. I talked to a guy from Maine not that long ago and he's big into moose shed hunting. Uh, he finds loads of moose sheds, but man, like I said, I want that giant, that giant brown, like seven point side from an elk that's been sitting there for like a month. Nobody's seen it. Do you guys, when you shed hunt, are you glassing a lot for them or are you just walking common areas where you found them in the past? Yeah. So I, I like to glass, but I like to cover ground. My one really good buddy I can most of shed hunting with, man, he can find a penny on a hillside. He can just glass stuff up from crazy far distances. I mean, I still glass, but I personally just like to cover as much ground as possible. Yeah. So, seems like everybody else has their different methods. I'm not saying that I don't glass, but it's, I, I don't do it as much as some other people. Have you heard of people using thermal scopes to find sheds? No, I haven't. I wonder if that would work or not. That'd be kind of crazy. I, I know the sun heats them up because you'll find a horn where it's melted down through the snow because yep. it'll heat up that bone. So I wonder if it would work at night. So that's that's what I've heard is that you can you can go out in the evening and as everything else is cooling down, the antler is still warm. And so you can gla- you can look through a thermal from like crazy distances, and it'll p- you'll pick it out like you'd never be able to do with binoculars. I've never personally done it, but I know people who have, and they're like, you just get on a high vantage point, and you can class like a square mile from one spot, and you can just mentally make note like, there's one, there's one, there's one, there's one. Go back the next day and go pick them up. I'll have to check the legality of that in Wyoming because yeah. we're, we're a little weird on our sheds for some reason. Yeah. They're doing it on private land, so I, I don't know. Oh, I'm, I'm, if our, that's, yeah, our private land laws are different, so yeah. I'm sure that'd be fine. Yeah, I don't know. Our national forest and BLM is tough. I, uh, yeah, it's crazy, like private land versus public land. I even... Even in the draw system for Colorado, I kind of got confused on that this year because I was looking, trying to figure out what what tags that we could actually all get as non-residents. And I'd find one, and I'm like, all right, I'm pretty sure this is it. And then in parentheses at the very bottom, it would say, like, private land only. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Everything's broken up so much. Resident versus non-resident. Resident private land versus public land non-resident private versus public and i'm like this is so confusing in wisconsin you show up and you say i'm a non-resident they give you a tag i'm a resident they give you a tag there's not like yeah like i go up and hunt wisconsin as a non-resident every year and it's just i mean it's more money but it's still over the counter 
but it seems like out west because there's so many more people that travel out west to do these big game hunts that they don't have available to them east of the Mississippi. It's like I get I get why they charge so much for it, but at the same time I'm like, dude, hundred like six hundred and fifty bucks for a non resident elk tag or like twenty four hundred bucks for a non resident moose tag if you get drawn. That's crazy to me. I just can't believe that that they can charge that much. Yeah, I mean it is crazy, but Wyoming's only got half a million people. We gotta make our money somehow. Oh yeah. At Yellowstone and natural gas and oil that's all we got <laughs> yep yeah i mean well and it's a limited resource like with whitetail oh, yeah. i mean you have you have six hundred thousand people hunting in wisconsin every year i think pennsylvania is around eight hundred thousand and people are out there shooting hundreds of thousands of deer and there's just as many the next year if you had that kind of success rate for elk oh they'd have to shut it down for years and so yeah. I mean, I get it. You have to, it's supply and demand. There's less elk. You got to charge more for the tags. Oh yeah. Or I guess there's less yeah, elk, so you can charge think, more. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Some of the people that came off the East coast were telling me how they can just shoot as many does as they want of white tail. It's crazy to me that you can shoot more than one deer. deer. Oh, that's and, here, man. We can, that's crazy. Yeah, it, I can I can buy as many $7 whitetail doe tags as I want. And in Wisconsin, I've seen it as low as $3 a piece. What? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, that's nuts. Man, that's wild. It loses, it loses its allure, though. Over-the-counter antelope Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, whitetail white hunting is fun, and I'll always love whitetail hunting. I mean, it's it's probably my number one uh, whitetail hunting with a bow. But I'm not going to shoot a dozen whitetail does every year. Like, I don't, I can't use that much meat. I'll shoot three of them, no. three or four, um, depending on if I got a buck already or not. But any more than that is a waste to me. But it is crazy how how well adapted they are how they can reproduce like crazy and in in my area i mean they are so overpopulated like this time of year i'll go out back in the orchard and see 15 of them get to the other end of the property and it's only 20 acres and i might be driving down the driveway and have five run across in front of me then my neighbor's got five in his field and then the next field down has 15 in it and it's just like everywhere you turn man the fall, the rut, the mm-hmm. acorns dropping, they're everywhere right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, all I want is like, what do you call them? Like an eight pointer, I guess. Like, I mean, a four by four back home. Yeah. Like, that's all I want is like a nice basket buck out of a tree stand with my bow. That's my dream. Dude. Oh, man. And like, where is it? Like, like, where you grunt them and stuff? That'd be sweet. Yeah, it's fun. There's not a huge window um, of opportunity for calling bucks in. Like the rut hits really hard, oh, yeah. and um, most of the most of the season because our season for archery, like ours, goes from August fifteenth all the way up till like it went up till this last Friday. Then it shut down because rifle opened up, 
So rifle goes from Friday until next Sunday, I think. I'm pretty sure it goes till next Sunday. And then archery opens back up until the middle of January. So, I mean, you have months and months that you can hunt them. But the one, like, really the last week in October through mid to late November is when you can effectively call deer in. Other than that, you're kind of peeing in the wind. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like if you have the right spot, man, you might have, like, growing up in Wisconsin, I remember sitting. I would just plop down in the snow with my rifle and we would only hunt nine days out of the year. And, uh, you'd plop down in the snow on a hillside and I'd have 40, 50, 60 deer in one day, just walk past me randomly. It's not like I've got bait out there. It's not like I've got the best place in the world to hunt, but there's so many deer that I'd see so many throughout the day. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, this year when we were elk hunting, me and a buddy, it was like, we just got done with the morning hunt. Like, the bugle fest usually kind of stalls around, like, 11. When it gets super hot, the first half of September, sitting there eating a sandwich on this bluff, and you're a stick break behind us, and, like, this little raghorn must have heard this little bull, must have heard us calling, and he dang near walked right on top of us. That's such a rarity out out west to have that type to have them just walk on top of you because there's not as many of them and little bull just almost ran us right over it was crazy yeah have you seen the have you seen the people that have started uh trying to elk hunt out of tree stands oh yeah oh yeah like those paddles yeah i've definitely thought about doing it in some places that would be amazing like there it's funny because the thing that a lot of people don't like about uh, tree stand hunting is one of the things that I love about it. I love the randomness of it because you could be sitting there and you may not have any idea what's about to walk through. And it could walk through at any point in the day. You know, you might hear a squirrel behind you for two hours and then all of a sudden you hear it again and you're like, it's just a squirrel. No, it's a deer like walking right underneath you. And there's something about just having no clue what could show up at any point from what direction that, that, I don't know, just because, probably because I grew up with it. It's just so exciting to me. Oh yeah. There's, there's a couple of really good wallows that we found up in the mountains this year that we're going to hike in some tree stands next year. And we're going to try and sit the first half of the year when it's still super, super hot and they're walling like crazy. It's going to be hard to stay sitting there when you hear elk calling around you, but we'll see. Yeah, I think, oh man, that would definitely change it up. If I could hear them and I knew they're over there, I don't know how long I'd be able to sit and wait. Like even rifle hunting for for deer in a tree stand. And if I see a deer in like a field across the property and it's over there, the odds of it just turning and coming my way from like 400 yards is slim to none. So I'll get down out of the tree and go after it if I know it's there. And so like if, if whitetail made noise as loud as an elk bugle, I don't think I'd be sitting in a tree stand very much. But because they just don't, like, you could hear them from a little ways off, but not very far. And so, like, for that reason, 
I'll just sit in the stand and hope one shows up. Oh yeah, I definitely want to try it at some point in my life. That would be cool. I, I just want to experience different types of hunting, honestly. Like anything new in the outdoors is fun because I mean obviously you, you never master something, but when you feel like you get successful, it's kind of fun to really picked up waterfowl hunting like the last two years and Wyoming flight it kind of sucks but I mean there's still birds and it's fun so that's been kind of a new thing that I've been trying to figure out yeah waterfowl hunting is a good time it's definitely a change up the camaraderie of waterfowl hunting is definitely awesome like even when we don't shoot anything we still have a good time but uh and that's also kind of what yeah. I like about Western all big game those, hunting. All the no duck pulls. All the what? All the no duck boys and setting so duck boys coming down to Laramie for school. Been learning a bunch of waterfowl hunting from those guys. It's man, it's there's way more to it than I ever thought it to like they're talking about stuff like the wind, where they're gonna set their wings, are they gonna hit the decoys the right way? Like I'll just just throw me a lay down line. I'll shoot them when they come in. Like, I, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Yeah. It's tough. I, I'm totally fine being an average all-around hunter. Uh, I know people who hone their craft when it comes to, like, archery elk hunting or waterfowl hunting or coyote hunting. But I'm like, man, I don't have time to be great at all of that. I'm just going to be okay at everything that I can be and have as much experience with it as I can. Like I, I know guys who were diehard whitetail hunters and then they got into waterfowl hunting and they don't even deer hunt anymore because waterfowl season takes up every ounce of their time in the fall and winter. But me, I just like it all too much to, to oh, yeah. give up everything just for one thing. Oh yeah. There's way too much to me, but I always have a joke that, you were almost like sacrificing one type of hunting for another. So you got to decide what we want to do and take time for everything. So it's all. Yeah, man, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, well, Hey, we are over an hour now and I want to respect your time. I know I've got to get up and get to the airport. I'm still in New York city right now. Um, and so I've got to get up early, but I want to give you a chance before we hop off to share your social media handles with everybody and then as well where they can go if they want to um, look into using you as a guide in the future seasons. Yeah, so on I'm mainly just most active on Instagram and I'm uh, Jack Dolls All Outdoors underscore outdoors. And uh, if you go to tylersims.com in Arlington, Wyoming, you just give them a call and request me as a guide for whatever you want we'll take care of you that's awesome man well hey i appreciate you hopping on the call with me tonight and uh we're definitely gonna have to make a swap happen i will i'll put you in a good tree stand and get you on a basket rack eight uh whatever i mean who knows you might be out there for a basket rack eight and you might have a giant buck show up but uh we'll have to we'll have to do some trade hunt trading and try to try to get each other on some adventures so yeah absolutely dude thanks for having me yeah man we'll uh we'll stay connected and good luck the rest of your season yeah 
you you do have a good one and that is going to wrap it up for today's show i hope you guys enjoyed that one and after talking with jack i'm going to have to seriously reconsider the whole antelope hunting thing. I mean, I just have kind of written it off. It sounded like something fun to do, but I haven't been too interested in the fact that he is super passionate about it, loves the meat. I'm going to have to think about going and doing an antelope hunt soon. Hopefully this year, um, well, I can't do it this year, but hopefully next year, 2022, I can get out and do that. Uh, Also, before I sign off, I want to remind you again, if you would, hop on and vote for Hunter Lashinsky in the Big Game Hero Contest. That would mean a ton to me. Um, you can listen to the beginning of this episode again for information on how to do that and um, or check the link in my bios on social media or the description of this podcast. But I am hoping to get out and waterfowl hunt. I was going to do a couple different hunting days this weekend. Unfortunately, none of that worked out. Um, it turned into kind of a busy weekend out of nowhere. And so... Now that it's midweek, we've got an archery rifle, or sorry, an antlerless rifle hunt going on all week. I'm going to try to get my buddy Chris his first deer. I think that's going to be my goal over the next like eight or nine days, however long this goes, as well as get out and hopefully shoot a couple ducks. So hopefully you guys are being safe out there. Hopefully you guys had a great uh, whitetail season wherever you are and you're getting after some birds now. I know rabbit, a bunch of different seasons are opening up. Bobcat opened up here. So lots more to come, but until next time, always choose adventure and God bless.